Hey guys, what's up? There, I have three interviews. Three interviews for this podcast episode. Two interviews from this movie that I really enjoyed called The Burning Sea. If you like Michael Bay, Roland Emmerich type American movies, disaster epics, The Burning Sea will be right up your alley. But there is a little bit of a slight upscale to that. There is a little... It's a Norwegian film and it's really character driven. So I really enjoyed this movie along with the special effects. There's a disaster in an oil rig area close to the, I believe, what is it called, the North Sea, off, off the coast of Norway, and it's up to this this woman, played by Christine Kuja Thorpe, I'm mispronouncing her name, and she and her partner, her co-worker, have to go out with their, I guess, submarine, they operate some kind of robotic submarine thing that will help them through this disaster and actually analyze the whole area to see if there's any survivors. She and her co-worker, they are a big part in making sure that a bunch of survivors get out of there before everything in, in that whole area blows up and people die. Most importantly, she is on a one-man rescue mission towards the middle of the movie. It's not a spoiler. She's trying to rescue her boyfriend, who is actually one of the employees on that oil rig, oil tanker, right out in the middle of the sea. Again, the movie's called The Burning Sea. On digital, on demand, you can actually, I will have Amazon Associates link where, links where, where you can purchase it and support me and Anderson and Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes. More on that in a second. So yeah, every kind of purchase you get through our Amazon links will be filtered. Spring, these pennies will be sprinkled down to all four of us. Okay, so that is The Burning Sea. I have two interviews, one with Christine Kuja Thorpe, the actress, I'm mispronouncing her name, and then also filmmaker John Andreas Anderson. And it's interesting for him, towards the end of the interview, he talks about his love for that Terry Gilliam film, Brazil. This movie, The Burning Sea, doesn't have any kind of surreal moments, but it's a really well done movie. And I usually like to ask filmmakers what their favorite fil- films are. And especially, I horrible of me to say this, but I, I kind of listen to the filmmakers I really like and really love their choices, okay, for that. So really loved Anderson's choice of Brazil towards the end of the interview. Would love to hear what you guys think of that Terry Gilliam film, Brazil, as well. I haven't seen it since I was maybe 13 or 14 on VHS. Way, way time for me to actually see it again now that I'm a 50-plus-year-old. Second movie is, right now, as we speak, this film has a 3.6 rating on IMDb. Okay, this movie is called Gasoline Alley. I Maybe you heard my, my ankle snap, my bad, I'm an old man. Gasoline Alley starts Bruce Willis, Luke Wilson, Devin Sawa. Devin Sawa plays a tattoo artist, owner of a tattooing par- parlor who is framed for the murder of several escorts in Los Angeles. He's framed, he's framed, he believes he's framed. Well, as a viewer, you're thinking, okay, well, he thinks he's framed, but is, is Devon Sawa's character, his, the character's name is Jimmy Jane. Is Jimmy Jane really innocent or is he guilty? A big part of that, I guess not a big part, a part of the narrative actually focuses on whether Jimmy Jane is innocent or not. Now, Jimmy Jane, it tries to clear his name ultimately by going through the underbelly of Los Angeles. And part of it is Kenny Warmald, I believe that's his name, Kenny Warmald is, you might know him for the remake as a lead in the remake of Footloose. Kenny, Kenny plays this big time action star who owes Jimmy Jane, again, played by Devin Sawa, a few favors. So there's a part. And so what's interesting is this movie, it's a film, modern day film noir, and there are just touches of a film within a film element behind Gasoline Alley. Again, there's Bruce Willis in his 500th movie, it seems, from last year. A lot of these movies were directed 
by by the filmmaker Edward Drake. Edward Drake d- directs Gasoline Alley and Bruce, and I think this is maybe his third or fourth time, maybe, yeah, maybe his fourth time working with Willis. I could be off on the count by maybe one or two films, but during the interview, he talks about how Willis is the kind, just a really kind person to work with. Now, like I said, Gasoline Alley has a 3.6 freaking rating. I ended up really enjoying it, and I actually surprised Bruce Burke and Eric Holmes when I said I'm gonna get. When I gave the movie four stars, Eric Holmes, I believe, gave the movie two stars, and Bruce gave it maybe one or one and a half stars. They both did not like the movie whatsoever. I ended up digging it. Now, would love to hear what you guys think of this movie. If you give Gasoline Alley a shot, it hit theaters like The Burning Sea on February 22nd. Both these movies are on digital on demand. I'll have those Amazon links below on the show notes. Whether you love Gasoline Alley or not, maybe that's on me. Four stars. You might complain like, Greg, why the F did you make me watch this movie? I dug it. I really dug all the layers behind it. I saw the promise behind the filmmaker, Edward Drake. As soon as I watched this movie, I emailed the publicist and I said, put me, would love, would love an interview with Edward Drake because really enjoyed the film. The, our talk ended up being an 18-minute conversation about the movie, about working with Devin Sawa, with Kenny Wormald, a bunch of the actors in the movie. But then towards the end, we have this really, this very truncated discussion about, Orson, speaking of Orson Welles and the Magnificent Magnificent Andersons, this is another Orson Welles movie. This movie is called The Third Man. And Edward Drake talks about his love for that film, The Third Man, directed by Carol Reed. If you have not seen The Third Man... Please just turn off this, turn off this pot, me babbling and just go and watch The Third Man. It is a masterpiece, especially if you love spy espionage thrillers, in a sense. Also friendship. It's a little bit of a friendship film. It's a betrayal film. It's a romance. It's a bittersweet take on the just the impending Cold War post-World War II. It, it's just so many amazing things. And on a cinephile level, though, there are a couple of standout Orson Welles moments that he mentioned. Edward Drake mentions about Orson Welles chewing the scenery in one section of The Third Man. The scene, the scene I, I believe he's talking about is the cuckoo clock scene. The cuckoo clock scene in The Third Man. If, and if you don't know what that's about, go to YouTube and type in Orson Welles and cuckoo clock. And it'll, it'll be, it's a really great monologue from the great Orson Welles. For me personally, I love the entire part of the movie especially the ending of The Third Man, which, by the way, Martin Scorsese kind of, not he didn't crib, but he paid homage to it in one sequence in The Departed, towards the end of The Departed, a funeral sequence in The Departed. Okay, so that's it. I'm just really excited. Edward Drake, very interesting filmmaker, young, way younger than me, very accomplished. A lot of his movies are getting a critical friggin' drubbing. I really am behind Gasoline Alley. And Again, if you whether you love it or not, it's a really good conversation with with Drake that I had. So I'm glad I was I had the chance to talk to him, and he, I'm excited about his upcoming L.A. film that he's had in the works for quite a while for the last decade. It's called The L.A. Trip, and he briefly mentions that towards the end of the interview. Last but not least, I have a this is so last minute, but thanks to Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. I ha- I am giving away one Blu-ray, one bleeping Blu-ray. It is sealed. I haven't. Uh, my grubby hands has not opened any part of this. Every single piece of this plastic is intact. I got this on Friday. House of Gucci, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital code. So if you want 
a gander if you want a chance to win this wonderful Blu-ray bonus features. has several featurettes, including The Rise of the House of Gucci. That's a making a featurette. The Lady of the House, which I'm assuming is a featurette on Lady Gaga. And last but not least is Styling House of Gucci. Again, so what's cool about these Blu-rays from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment is... I mean, is it Universal Pictures Home Entertainment? No, let me look at this. Yes, it is Universal Pictures Home Entertainment and MGM. I'm speaking to myself. I apologize. No. Now, again, what's cool about these Blu-rays is sometimes you you just get the Blu-ray and it's just the Blu-ray. Okay, that's fine. But you get the here, you get the Blu-ray, the DVD, and the digital code. I will leave a link in the show notes for this podcast where you can find my giveaway for House of Gucci. My apologies, it ends in about a couple of days. So if you are one of the subscribers to Cinematics, our Cinematics podcast feed, thank you so much. But I'm telling you right now, stop with those interviews, go right down to the show notes, click on the link, and then you will be led to my giveaway website, my my giveaway website, my giveaway link on deepestdream.com where you can actually enter for the giveaway. Okay. House of Gucci right now. It's, there's a lot of entry openings. There's one winner who will win for House of Gucci. More Blu-rays and DVD giveaways are in the offing for this whole cinematics and find your film universe. Speaking of which cinematics and find your film I talked to our big boss, Anderson Cowan, my, my captain, my captain, and he's on board with this starting next month, actually, actually, yeah, March. And hopefully, if everything goes uh, goes correctly, Anderson has a, is going to have a video set up and we're going to start shooting maybe some cinematics episodes there uh, or maybe movie reviews. He and I together doing some video stuff. We'll be putting it on our channel. It's called, I just added it the find your film family with Bruce and Eric. I put it's the channel is called Cinematics and FYF Podcasts. Okay, I'm gonna please subscribe to that channel. I it's there's only like maybe four hundred subscribers because I haven't been putting up putting up any kind of video uploads on that channel. But on this channel, what I'm how many times am I gonna say the C H A N N E L but here we're gonna be putting up Blu-ray reviews, Blu Blu-ray DVD reviews, giveaways I, I'm going to house my what's your favorite movie question on this channel. Hopefully, Bruce and Eric will throw in their own movie reviews, uh, physical media reviews. I want to actually focus this channel on physical media because I'm very passionate about, passionate about um, Blu-rays and DVDs of all, form, of all forms. I think right now with the advent and the continuing onslaught of streaming services, there's something that gets lost in the mix. And I think... The idea to actually have a physical media and realizing that, let's just say, I don't know, for example, House of Gucci, there are three featurettes. Let's just say five, six years from now, House of Gucci isn't streaming anywhere, is streaming anywhere, or maybe it is streaming, but let's just say for some reason, only these bonus features are available on the physical media disc, and who knows, maybe it, it'll be harder to find some of these bonus features. And I, I'm just paranoid about what happens to all those special features from earlier on, from years and years ago that maybe have gotten gotten lost or maybe the distributors or the streaming service decided not to carry these old special features. So anyways, I think if you're a cinephile and if you have space in your your respective domicile, it's really a good idea just to keep these in posterity, especially if you like to collect things and and I don't know, so that's going to be part of the whole channel, giveaway stuff. And like I said, Anderson and I, we're going to start taping stuff for cinematics. I'll be housing that on our cinematics channel. And look, right now for my deep, my own, my own channel, the Deepest Dream YouTube channel, 
I house all of my interviews there, my full interviews. Okay. It's cool. I, I'm, I'm happy with it right now. But right now, if you, on the podcast level, if you want to just support me and then most, more importantly, Anderson Cowan, Bruce Perky, Eric Holmes, my betters, go over to Cinematics uh, and uh, find your film podcast channel. Give it a like. We're going to be doing a lot more stuff on that channel as well. Enough of that. I'm going to get to the reviews. This is going to be a long episode because the, again, the interview with Edward Drake, it's 18 minutes. And the, you know, the interviews with Christian Kuja Thorpe from The Burning Sea, that's about nine minutes. And the director, John Andreas Anderson, I'm butchering both these Norwegians' name. My freaking fault. Movie's awesome. Yeah, each of them are about eight or nine minutes. Okay, so you're going to, you're going to get them back to back to back with only the little bing tone to separate them. So that's it. There's going to be chapter marks in the podcast descriptions as well. I'm sure I'm forgetting things. Most importantly, thank you all all the listeners for whether you were you've, you've stayed with me and Anderson from since 2015 or you're just starting right now and you're wondering what why is this guy why is this friggin' weird dude why is he continuing to stop to talk when I to speak when I want to hear these <laughs> these interviews, okay? Just no matter what, thank you just for giving us a listen and, and giving and donating, basically donating some of your time. Like, I'm not donating, giving your time for, to, to listen to these, to my ramblings and, and these interviews and these reviews. All right. If you have any questions, hit us up on our various emails. All that stuff will be in the notes. And I am going to shut up right now. Interviews first with the burning sea with these two, the two talents, John Andreas Anderson and Christine Kucha Thorpe. And then secondly, last but not least, is my interview with Gasoline Alley, filmmaker and co-writer Edward Drake. Great, really interesting film noir. Again, 3.6, way too low in my opinion. And if you think I'm an idiot, please email me and say, hey, Greg, you know The Burning Sea? Yeah, you're wrong. It sucks. It really burned. It, it really burns me that I had to watch the movie. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Gasoline Alley, I really want to pour gasoline all over you because you made me watch this friggin' movie. We'd love to hear what you think. Hopefully, it'll be a more positive reaction than what I'm actually picturing in my paranoid brain. And uh, yeah, enough. Interviews coming up right now. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for your time. Really love this film. First off, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm sure you've been getting all day, but just the physicality behind this movie. Did you have to train a lot as part of the research or was everything that we're seeing on screen just CG? Because it doesn't seem that way. It seemed that you really had to work for this role. Yeah, I did. And it was really, really hard. I'm not used to doing a lot of workouts and yeah but i really had to like pull myself together to do this because you i mean it would have been possible to do this part and this film without being in a good shape and being like um, yeah able to to go through a whole day of shooting uh this film because everything was so intense and we shot almost every scene i think at, Apart from one scene, everything is shot on location, on platforms, and in really cold, shitty weather on the coast of Norway. Uh, a lot of stairs, suddenly snow, a lot of wind, rain, freezing cold. It was really tough, yeah. You know, even that said, with all the preparation physically that you did, when you got on location, did you, did you say to yourself, I, I I can't imagine it's this hard because it feels so real to me watching it, even when yeah. you were, yeah. 
even with all that preparation, was it still hard to do it? It was. <laughs> it was. Like, there's a lot of, or a couple of scenes where we're carrying a lot of equipment up and down stairs and walking a lot of stairs. And uh, even though I was, at that time, I was probably in the best shape of my life. And I felt like I was really, really strong and I had the, a very, very good, um, uh, what should you say? Yeah, I, I, I could keep it going for very long, but there were some days I was like, oh my God, how can I get through this day? Like where we were walking, I don't know how many floors of stairs in one, like in one take. And then you have to do it all over again and all over again and a lot of running and pulling stuff and being underwater and yeah <laughs> but all, i loved it i yeah, loved it yeah with all that said just wondering your your initial thoughts when you saw the final cut with all the hard work that you and the crew put in how great was it to see because there's so many action movies out there but there are a few action movies that have a, a real heart and humanity and soul behind it how pleased were you with the final cut of this film I, I was very very pleased. Um, I, I don't I don't watch a lot of uh, action movies, uh, so I was I don't know what I, what I was like expecting from it. But I remember sitting in the cinema watching it for the first time, and when I saw there's um, there's a scene with there's a ship going down in the ocean when the um, uh, sea opens up. And I got chills, and I've never gotten chills from special effects before. And I was really like, Ugh. even though I knew the whole script, I knew everything that was going to happen, and all of that. I was really, I my heart was like racing uh, during the whole film. So it was super intense watching it, and I was really, really proud of being a part of it. And because I thought it was, it looked so real, and it was like, yeah. I was really proud. <laughs> you know, I have a five-year-old niece and she's starting to think about things that she wants to do when she gets older. And, I, and she says she loves imagination. But for you personally, did your love for acting and play and imagination, did it start at an early age or did you grow into acting as a person? Um, I started acting like uh, when I was around probably 10, but I didn't. I didn't think that I was going to end up as an actress. I didn't, I didn't want to, I, I thought it was fun, but I wanted to like create stuff and be more like uh, maybe work behind the camera. And I'm, I also have a degree in production design. Uh, so I worked a lot with that and being like, I don't know if I want to be behind the camera or in front of the camera for many years. So it kind of like grew on me, the idea that I act could actually work as an actress and yeah because I just love to do so many different things and I I'm still doing that uh, so acting is like my main job but then I have a lot of hope of this that I really enjoy as well yeah that said is there a linear connection between production designing and acting do you, is there something that you could learn from that discipline that you can actually translate into what you do as an actor or not are they just two different fields I think it's more the other way which I think was very very helpful um because as a production designer or if you if you know act 
thing as a production designer you really know what uh you know the way uh an actor thinks and it's easier i, I mean for me at least i thought it was easier to figure out um yeah the the life of the characters i was creating the world for and also i uh, how important all the details are as an actor um or for an actor uh, and that it's very important for the production designer to create this whole world with details and that if you open a drawer there's uh, stuff there that maybe is never shown on screen but it's really nice to have as an actor so i love that part of it like thinking as an actor while doing production design but the uh, the other way i don't know if it's like i don't know how i could use that yeah only be getting really like why isn't this in place this this should be in another color and being just a yeah i don't know couple of uh, quick more questions. I usually ask actors and filmmakers to name one of their favorite films and just wondering what are, what is one of your favorite films and what is it about this film, specific film, that still speaks to you today? Oh, it's such a hard question. Though. I apologize, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It's not one film, but I'm a huge fan of Roy Amundsen. Hmm. It's a Swedish uh, Swedish filmmaker, which makes this really... Maybe it's because we talk about production design now, but he uses a lot of... Uh, not a lot of... He only films in the studio, and it creates this really fake um, dimensions in the scenography. And it's very, very stylistic, uh, everything he does. But it's so... I don't know. I think his view on humanity is uh, or humankind is so unique and extremely fascinating and depressing but also extremely funny and i think all of his movies are like brilliant and very very mm, clever and eye-opening when it comes to human life yeah Yeah, so i would say all of roy anderson's films you should check him out he's a genius Okay, we'll we'll do. And final question is: You mentioned eye opening, the word eye opening. But wondering if if the Burning Sea was an eye opening experience, meaning a life changing experience for you as an actor. Just looking back on it, did it really shape your life? Because this seems like a very would be an important film for anyone's resume. I would assume. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I would say that it has opened a lot of opportunities for me. Um, Together, I mean, I have I have had a really crazy a couple of uh, years now with a lot of stuff going on. So there's everything just coming out at the same time. So it's hard to like <laughs> diverse what's, uh, yeah, what's uh, uh, bringing me where I'm at the, at the moment. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, for me. It has just been a really, really great experience and just an adventure. And uh, I just got to see so many different parts of Norway and meet a lot of people that I would never meet in a normal life. And thank you so much for your time. And as we're leaving, the Oscars are coming up. Are you pulling for any kind of movies? Or do you have any favorite films from the last year? Maybe The Worst Person in the World? I don't know. That's a great film. Of course, of course. Go Norway. And it's a wonderful film. So, yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you so much for your time. Really love your film. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. First off, 
I, you know, I love the burning sea and I watch a lot of movies where it's action driven or there's big stakes. It's a big canvas, but what they lack is they lack a sense of soul and humanity and heart for you as a filmmaker. What's the key to, to bring that to a project, no matter how big or small it is. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, I can hear you now. Great. Sorry. Sorry. We'll try again. I, I just froze on my end there. Oh, no worries. So yeah, just in, in general, from your perspective, what's the key to bringing I see a lot of action movies or big event movies, and I like them for the entertainment. But for something like the the Burning Sea, I I will recommend this to as many people as possible because it has that big canvas, but it also, most importantly, it has a sense of soul and heart to it. As a director, how, in layman's terms, how do you bring that to a project? How did you? How were you able to bring it to this film? Well, I mean, first of all, thank you. That's that's very nice of you to say, and I'm very happy to hear that you experienced it in that way. Um, I guess we wanted to, you know, it's, it's a Norwegian film and we're, we're stepping into, you know, really a Hollywood territory with, with this genre. And we wanted to make sure that we had sort of this sort of Scandinavian spin on it that, that, you know, it was not just, you know, superhumans hanging in a rope under a helicopter, you know, it's like that there was real people of flesh and blood reacting to real something that I wanted to feel like, like reality. Um, and also the sort of underlying message, you know, of course, being, I guess, very basic that, that if you mess with nature, nature will hit back. And it, it, it's sort of a theme that many films have explored. Uh, but um, in Norway, it's also, uh, it's very close to us because the North Sea, it's it's uh, where a lot of the, the country's wealth comes from. It's like, it's, it's such a big part of our life in Norway. You know, it's like, we know that, that we get all this money from the oil drilling, but we also know that we have to stop drilling for oil. We know that it's in a way we, we know it's wrong, but we still do it. Uh, so um, the film came about at the same time, like there was a lot of political discussion about, you know, should we set a date? When do we stop drilling for oil? Um, stuff like that. So, so we wanted to, you know, we wanted to make a film that was entertaining and thrilling and, you know, sort of hopefully, you know, keep you a little bit on the edge of your seat, but at the same time, had a, a bit of an underlying uh, theme of, of of what happens if we if you push nature too hard. Christine to me just is a natural actor. She was a surprise to me, just from wondering what did you see in her talents that you knew that she could really anchor your film because I think that's a, a rare quality to have. I think Christine, uh, I think I think she, she's 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 amazing. I, I was so happy when when we found her. She has. This sort of sensibility, uh, and I've I've never done a film with a female sort of action hero before. And if if we can call this an action hero, I mean, we we really wanted, like I said, we want her to be feel like a real person of flesh and blood, of, of not not of superhuman um, yeah, with superhuman uh, capabilities. But you know, Christine has she had that, and she has this sort of vulnerability as well that I, that I really like, and she just feels very natural in everything she does and she's like a lie detector if something feels false to her she will not do it so uh, i think in that sense she was perfect for this role you know growing up were you always was directing always your big dream because you have a, years of experience as a cinematographer so w was being a dp your initial dream and then you graduated to become a filmmaker or was directing behind the camera always your number one priority well you know growing up um I, I and even as I mean I worked for twenty years as a cinematographer as a DOP and uh, I always 
uh, sort of didn't really call myself a DOP. I always looked at myself as a filmmaker. I, I think everyone who takes part of the filmmaking process is is somehow a filmmaker. So, and I always start, you know, when, whenever I start a new film, I always have this speech for the crew saying that, you know, you have to, everyone has to take responsibility. You know, if, if you have, if your best friend uh, loses his hair and starts wearing uh, a toupee, then you have to be a good friend and tell him, hey, you look like an idiot with that toupee. And and that's that's I think that's sort of part of the filmmaking process that and and what I really enjoy I've worked a lot with this with the same people and I think we're all sort of we're all part of making something together and so in that sense taking a step from being a cinematographer to a director didn't really feel as that big of a step because uh, I was just so much enjoyed being part of the filmmaking process and growing up and I, I decided I want to work with film when I was very very young and and just sort of just kept at it from that point so. I still love cinematography. It's, it's being a cinematographer is the best job in the world, but being a director is not so bad either. You mentioned Hollywood at the beginning of the interview. Just wondering, after the quake and for, just from your experiences, your body of work, has Hollywood come knocking on your door? Would you ever make a film in Hollywood, or is Norway your place to be? Because I'm sure you've had offers over the years. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I went to school in Los Angeles, so so I've, I, I certainly have friends over there, and, and a lot of the films that made me want to get into the film business in the beginning was, of course, American films. So, so I, I would definitely would love to do a film in in the U.S. But at the same time, uh, I have I've had some scripts and some interest from from over there, and I just I really want to make sure that when I do it, it's because of the script and because of the story, and not just because of the opportunity to make a film in Hollywood. I think the important thing is to find the right project and I've, I've been fortunate to have a lot of nice projects over here and and uh, of course the the the, the, um, the films that we make over here they have a smaller budget but they also have maybe to a certain degree some more freedom um to play around so it's a double-edged sword but i guess my answer to your question is yes i would love to do a film over there but it has to be the right one and I apologies for the final question it's a hard question but just from the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about this specific film that still speaks to you today? Yeah, that is hard because, you know, Apologies. naming one is just, uh, it's just so hard. But I mean, uh, it would have to be, I, I really, I guess, uh, is it 2001 or is it Godfather or is it Brazil or is it Goodfellas? Um, I guess three of those were at least were American and one British. So, yeah. Uh, I was just, uh, I just love films that, that, you know, take you to another world and take you into a, uh, take, it will take you a place that you cannot experience in your real life. And, and that's also part of the allure of this type of film, like the burning sea, you know, is how can you else experience being on an oil rig and, you know, being in the middle of a catastrophe, you, you have to go to movie theater to experience that. And I think that that's so naming those top films, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't name just one, but uh, but uh, I, I think that that's that's part of how I fell in love with movies, at least. John, I can't I can't even imagine you as a child just watching Brazil and Gilliam's work because you're talking about DOP and filmmaking. I'm sure his, I guess, his painterly style and surreal style must have been some kind of influence for you as your youth, maybe. Absolutely. I mean, when I when I saw Brazil, I was quite young, and I was just blown away. I was just like, "How is it possible to make a film like this?" Uh, so I love Terry Gilliam's work. Uh, 
definitely one of the big inspirations and you know i i grew up in a very very small town where it's like i don't know if you if you have seen the film called uh, cinema paradiso but it's my growing up was a little bit like that it was like a lot of the times i was alone with the with only the machinist in the in the theater showing me films but uh um yeah i, I really fell in love with with films in that way and, and terry gilliam and brazil was was like the, the cornerstone of, of that part of my life John, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And I apologize for the Wi-Fi problems on my end as well. So, No problem. Very nice talking to you, Greg. Take care. Bye-bye. What's your name? Sorry. We need to talk to you about the four dead girls. Have you ever seen these girls before? My suspect? That's yours, right? The lighter, it was found at the crime scene. We got motive. We got access. Cops wanted to confirm you're on your way to see me last night. The bald one. He thought I'd be all bent about you flirting with those poor girls. Why don't you tell me who you think's involved? I have nothing to do with it. I got someone trying to pin a bunch of murders on me. In broad daylight. I'm not going back inside, especially not for something I didn't do. Yeah. Hello, Thomas. How you doing? What am I into? Show business, son. I don't think you're involved in this any more than somebody wants you to be. That source I told you about when she was abducted. I told you to be ready. First off, Edward, I'm a huge noir fan, and I loved how you actually positioned Gasoline Alley and not, and you didn't make it to be a, a trope-filled noir from the past. You actually infused a lot of different colors within it. Can you, kind of like what you're doing right now with your background, but can you can you just can you just talk about your visual aesthetic behind Gasoline Alley? Because I really loved how you didn't go for the normal tropey LA noir approach. A lot of uh, a lot of my childhood was actually uh, spent watching just great noir from uh, you know, American and uh, Eastern noir, and so I looked a lot to uh, just different styles and ways to modernize it and to reflect the Los Angeles that I live in. We shot in Southern Georgia, and what I wanted to uh, do is bring a sense of uh, identity. Uh, of the LA that I know into this world that we were creating. And it was through like a striking color palette and through just singular framing, letting the the tension sit in the moment. Uh, One of my favorite authors is uh, Raymond Chandler. And what I love about some of his characters is that they just have to sit with the consequences of their actions and with the uncertainty of not knowing their fate. And that dictated a lot of the visual language uh, for for the film. I also appreciated how Jimmy Jane, you know, Devin Sawa, he's not your 
typical lead actor. There's a lot of layers behind his performance and who he is as a person. Can you just talk about casting him for your film and also the character itself? A lot of noirs, which you seem to really know about, they have the character start off a certain way and the events change that person. But with this character, I don't know if you did this consciously, but he's sort of a mystery. And then you start gradually learning how much of a, I don't want to give too much away, how much of a layered and very tough guy he is. I, I, I that You don't see that in noir too much. No, it was actually uh, a little reversal I wanted to play with, which was uh, framing, framing the film from Jimmy's perspective uh, and also presenting him as potentially guilty right from the get-go. And it's not so much as uh, Jimmy progressing into uh, becoming uh, a better person. It's actually a regression to his old ways and tapping into this beast that he has worked so, so hard in his life to subdue. But the threat of uh, yeah, imprisonment uh, being framed for these crimes, it it's wearing him down and this veneer of civility that he has built up over yeah, the course of his adult life since getting out of jail is falling. And he knows that to get justice for uh, not only for his uh, his mother uh, and for Star, he's going to have to go to the darkest places uh, of his soul that he has compartmentalized and uh, un- unleash them to find justice and truth. Also, I think something that's very slept on with your movie is just on looking at IMDb. How did the collaboration with Tom Sergio start? Because he's a very talented writer. I remember as a college student really loving Untamed Heart. And I'm just so glad that he's was part of the process. How did that come about? And that's yeah. it's great to have that. Tom's an incredible writer. And his scripts are just beautiful and filled with so much prose. Uh, so... There was an interesting development history with this one. Uh, Tom had sent the script to a producer that I that I work with uh, frequently, and the producer forwarded me the script because uh, I, I love to read. I read everything, and I said, "Yeah, this is the beast of me. This is fantastic." And then uh, the closer it got to production, uh, there were a few little zigzags that needed to happen production-wise. And I got bought in to direct four days before we started shooting and I needed to do a page one <laughs> just due to the, uh, some actor requests and limitations of where we were shooting. Uh, I needed to come in to do a rewrite, but I, I loved Tom's first draft and I really hope I did it justice by uh, turning it into something that uh, could be filmed with the production model that we have uh yeah tom's an incredible writer and a great great human being i I love that man my only suspect person of interest so star i'm assuming she was a working girl yeah did she make you an offer of course she did did you take her up on it or did you try and bargain with her and maybe when you tried to bargain with her you kind of made her feel a little cheap and then she said something nasty and who knows maybe that your feelings, and then you thought, hey, I'm really going to let her have it. Did you hook up with her? No, I thought I was meeting with somebody after. And who's that? This girl I run around with, Christine. Are we done here? No, so I'm just trying to get all this straight in my head. Maybe you can help me, boss. So the bar, it closes at 2.30. That gives you 45 minutes to kill them, stage them, 
then mosey on over to this Christine girl. And you asked, did they suffer? Their necks were broken, all four of them. Of course, that's not real difficult when you got four helpless girls all whacked out on junk and blow and God knows what else. Now, the only suspect description we got is of a Caucasian shit kicker. You seen any of those lately? Out of my shop. I actually think we're done here, and we probably don't need to tell you this, but don't leave the country. Hell, don't leave the county. We can haul you in on a Ramey warrant anytime, okay? So, yeah, you're still a suspect. Got it? Don't worry. If you get found guilty, we'll walk you down to the electric chair ourselves. It's like that old gospel number. You'll never walk alone. Let's hit it, boss. As a cinephile, I could have just selfishly had a movie with Devin Sawa and Luke Wilson, having Luke Wilson bust his balls for about two to three hours. Can you just talk about working with those guys on those scenes? As Obviously, you have a million things to do on a, on a day-to-day basis, but were those scenes pleasurable for you to shoot just because you knew what was really unfolding before you on that screen? Always. Yeah, Tom and uh, – I mean, Tom had actually uh, had Luke in mind for Vargas. And uh, – it was so much fun bringing Luke's voice and who Luke is, the snarkiness, the wit, the sarcasm through and which cut up against uh, Devin's performance style. So Devin loves, Devin loves for everything to be on the page and to, to work, rehearse, go through that. That's, that's his process. Now Luke is a master of improvising. And so there were really fun little ways where Luke was able to get into the into character and needle at you know Devin's character by just throwing improvs and putting putting Devin just like one step off where he would be and if, there's a few moments uh, on the film set location in the film uh, where that really comes into play and you could tell that they were both they loved sparring with each other. I think also another part of your your um, your narrative that I really enjoyed was the fact that people who maybe don't know much about Los Angeles don't really understand how movie making and real life are pretty much they're not two separate entities they're they're really blended. Can you just talk about Kenny's arc and just putting that into the narrative because I think that just adds an extra layer to Gasoline Alley and people outside of LA or don't know much about the city may think oh this that's a fantastical take on on some kind of murder mystery but really in essence in many parts it's very realistic. Yeah, LA is beautiful because there's no clear delineation between where the entertainment industry starts and ends, and everyone's just trying to live their life here as well. Everyone's everyone's just looking for the best breakfast burrito, the best coffee place. And for Kenny, I you know Kenny's got an incredible legacy uh, as an actor that we thought would be really fun to subvert and play with. So casting. Yeah, it's funny. When when I came onto the project, he was actually cast in a, a much, much more minor role as a mechanics assistant on the film set. And I was like, no, no. If Kenny's if Kenny's here, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. And then there was this mad dash to clear the rights for, you know, the film within the film, or the film within the film, quote, unquote. And uh, this virtual background thing is not working at all. Is you're it, fine. It's you're totally. You're totally fine. Don't worry. You're good. You're good. Oh, um, it's funny. Um, the yeah, Kenny was such a generous actor. And then when Devin, 
like Devin and him got on like a house on fire, but they knew that when the cameras started rolling, it was game on. And Devin really wanted to, you know, as Jimmy put a really good scare into, uh, into Kenny. And uh, there was one moment where it was Kenny's final day. And, uh, you know, we all having a chat and like just trying to crack the a little bit of nuance for the fi- for this final scene that we were filming with Kenny and Devin had an idea and I, I don't want to spoil what happens in it but there's one moment of violence that is uh, incredibly in- it's just it was just improvised by Devin and Kenny was not aware of um, a certain action that was going to take place but then we're all gathered around Video Village safely you know uh, everyone's got their masks on but then you could see that and there was this huge gasp from outside and when i called cut the entire crew burst into applause because that was a great great scene to witness uh live play out and i think we i think we did it justice in the edit as well i'm sure you get this question a lot edward but what is your work workflow like? How are you able to do what you do on a daily basis? Because one, I can go from this and then I can just right now spend a lot of time just going over your filmography. Is coffee. Yeah. Are you when you look back at how much you've done over the last several years, are you do you are you proud of yourself? Do you want to just curl up in a ball and sleep forever? I mean, what's the key to just doing all that stuff and juggling all those balls in the air? I love what I do, brother. It's uh, it's a gift. I uh, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and I've found myself in an incredibly lucky position to be able to uh, tell stories. And there are, you know, there's very specific boundaries for how these stories are told. And I always aspire to push the envelope further with each film. And I, I love what I do. I wake up excited every day. I'm up. I'm up before 6am. I'm doing my thing, uh, writing, uh, emails. Um, I've got a, and of course I couldn't do this without the team that I work with. And, you know, especially the editor, Justin Williams, who I collaborate on all of these projects. He's as much of a creative force, uh, on these as anyone else. And we just have this system set up that we can get into reviews. We can dial in scenes, we can keep moving and, yeah, I'm, 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 of course, very grateful to uh, producer Corey Lodge and uh, and Bondit, the financier, for just understanding that there is a way using new digital methods to be more efficient with the process. There's less time wasted. Uh, logistically, things can make a lot more sense a lot faster. And I mean, coffee. I'm, and coffee. And I'm, I'm going to ask the record a question. You know, John Ford had John Wayne you have Bruce Willis and just working him within to your workflow. Has that been a blessing for you as well with just getting to know him more with every single project as you move forward and you push more boundaries with every film you direct? Yeah. Bruce is one of the kindest, nicest men I've had the, um, the pleasure of meeting and working with. And yes, uh, absolutely. Every time we try and get a little bit more cheekier. And I think it's one thing that, perhaps doesn't come across through some of the films, but we are very, very conscious and aware of the, of the kind of movies that we're making. And so we know, you know, everyone reads the reviews, everyone hears the feedback and that sort of thing. There is a lot of meta elements that are at play that are always permeating through the subtext. 
And so we're never winking at the audience, but we are smiling with them. And uh, it's our little way of nodding to Bruce's legacy and to doing the characters and the story justice. Um, but yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough of the man. He's a he's a great individual. A couple of final questions, Edward. Um, there's a sequence, you're talking about pushing boundaries. There's a se- sequence where Devin Zawa's character, Jimmy Jane, he's sitting down and they just he's just having a conversation. I'm looking at the character's name, Eleanor Rogers, and you just let the scene play out. And there are a couple of moments in the narrative where you could have really pushed it and made it more of a quicker narrative, but you let the scene breathe. And by doing that, you're giving patience and, and uh, to, you're giving a lot of, um, you know, you, you bring, you're breathing a lot of life into the narrative, which I, as a noir fan, appreciate. Is that one of those things about your growth as a filmmaker, just letting the scene play out along with the other parts of the narrative? These scenes must mean a lot to you personally. So, yeah, these are, this is a, this is a noir, and you want to see the characters reckoning with their decisions. And with like, Devin is one of the best actors I've ever worked with. He's phenomenal, and you can, you can watch in his eyes as his character is making the decisions, as he's reckoning with the consequences of his choices. And uh, as soon as I met Devin, I just realized that we, we had an opportunity to uh, make something really special and showing, you know, we, we weren't looking to do the Travis Bickle, um, you know, descent into madness. We wanted to do, uh, do right by Tom's vision for the script and for uh, Devin's ideas for the character. And we came together and yeah, super grateful. My final question to Edward is I, I do a movie podcast and I ask filmmakers and actors to name one of their all-time favorite movies. And for you, what is it about this specific film that still resonates with you today as a director and as a, more importantly, as a cinephile? Uh, just what's a film that resonates with me? Yeah. Or just one of your favorite film? films. Yeah. any Right off the top of your head. And what is it about this film that's special for you? Uh, Double Indemnity. Uh, I love. Um, the Big Sleep. Jeez, uh, I could go on and on. I, I, I honestly, one of my favorite films is uh, the Third Man, which Carol is, Reed. Yeah, exa- yeah, uh, incredible, incredible script. I have when I was teaching myself to write, that was one of the first scripts that I ever I rewrote myself to see, like, oh, how would I do an adaptation of this? And I was like, there is no way in hell anyone can ever touch this script. It is absolutely perfect. It's so modern. It moves so fast. If anyone hasn't seen The Third Man, it has one of Orson Welles' uh, most uh, delicious scene-eating performances of all time. He is just, like, chewing on the scenery. Uh, Ending is fantastic. Yes. And it's like he's a real villain. Uh, I, I don't know. I could go on. For uh, for hours about that film, the cinematography well, know... is iconic. Oh yeah, yeah, and the score, the score. <laughs> so yeah, and the history, the the final shot is just so heartbreaking and beautiful, and it's just there's this ennui that sets in, and it's yeah, getting emotional just thinking about it. But the oh. production stories from on set of that film could be its own movie. So maybe that's the way to go. You do the making of the third man. Thank you, Edward, for your time. I'm going to put you on the spot because you're a director and you know a lot more about cinema than I do. Was The Third Man directed by Carol Reed or by Orson Welles? Orson Welles has gone on record and saying, don't say that. It's Carol Reed's film. Did you, as a, as a youth, did you ever think about that? Because, you know. Having been in the position of working with actors that are incredible storytellers, 
I can tell you it's that's my favorite part of the collaboration so you just everyone's a storyteller on set every actor every grip every you know so sure best my philosophy is best idea wins i will always have a singular uh way to move the story forward and keep the visual language consistent but if there is if there's a great idea at play if orson put out a, a you know an idea for a certain scene uh, even if it's just like changing the blocking, that sort of a thing, we're all part of the authorship of these stories, which is why it's why it's something when when you have like a film by credit, it's a film by everyone. It's a film by the you know, the legion of filmmakers and you know, everyone from the PAs to the crafties to the producers to the executives handling the accounting for, for every, like none of this is possible without every single little piece in the machine uh, working together. And I'm, I'm so grateful for, uh, for the opportunity to be able to tell these stories. And Edward, I know you're a very busy director who likes exploring so many different genres. Can I please, as a film fan, hopefully one day down the road, you'll have another, cause you, you mentioned the big sleep, you mentioned the third man. Can you, I know with the business being the business is, is noir still going to be in the future with all the busy stuff you have, you know, to do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One of my uh, dream, dream projects that I've been working on ever since I landed in LA, the, the day I landed in LA uh, and seeing Los Angeles for, for what it is versus the myth of what I always had seen it through something, you know, films like LA Confidential and other films. Uh, I channeled all of that into this script that I've been working on for, uh, a decade now and it's called the LA trip and it is a it's uh, yeah it's every every odor of noir in my bones has been channeled into it and it's the story of a uh, a young English photographer who moves over to Los Angeles to chase fame and fortune and he's offered a fast track to success if he can cover up a murder in his mentor's studio but as the night progresses and, you know, the cover-up leads to one other thing, leads to another discovery, he's not only questioning his place in the world and why he wants to be an artist, uh, he has to stay one step ahead of the forces at play in L.A., not just the cops, but uh, the kingmakers and the deal-breakers. Can't wait to see that movie. Edward, thank you so much yeah. for your time, and I really love Gasoline Alley. Dude, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, man. Have you take one. care. You yeah. too. Be good.